Pitch drop in the end. Scotch. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 172 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the Gains programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the Refactorio Wanderer. I'm Sam, and I make art. Yeah, and this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is Octopus Bait 2018. That's a good one. Yeah. It's my nice. favorite days of the year. Yeah. And it's weird got- that it comes after Octopus Gun, because you'd think you'd need the bait first. Well, that's <laughs> how they get you. Okay. You think, <laughs> you think you're safe, because they've already got the gun. And then the bait comes. Yeah. And that's when you fall. It's for not it. bait for octopi. It's the octopi is baiting you. Exactly. Now they have guns. Ah, right. So watch out for that. Uh, I think the, the traditional octopus bait, it looks like a crate with a stick under it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a sign that just says, it's fine. Although, given how much people like guns, could the gun also be the bait? It could be just a gun with the tentacle still attached underneath that thing. Yep. And then you get too close. You're like, free gun. Game over. There's a sign that says free gun, and you just see a little (laughs) octopus tentacle holding it (laughs) under the crate. Uh This is fine. Uh, Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show. There's going to be profanity, and we're going to talk about other stuff that children either, uh, you know, parents might think they shouldn't hear. Like sentient octopi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Or it's just going to be uninteresting to them. Because their brains, they only got half of them at the moment. Yeah. It takes the rest of the time to get the other half. Yeah, they're mostly just an empty skull right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so on to the news. For starters, we'd like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We have some anonymous supporters, so thank you for your your sacrifice. Uh, and we also have <laughs> no glory in that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Such a beautiful thing. Right? Yeah. And we also have several recurring supporters who are pledging monthly to support the podcast, and we appreciate that as well. On to the news studio. We have the Shenanicon coming up mm-hmm. in two weekends. And I must say, we're getting all the all the goodies in place for it. Looking real good. You know what I'm saying? Good, good. Yeah. yeah. Real good. Uh, this is an event that's going to be uh, in the evening of October 24 to 8 p.m. It's going to be hang out with the devs, meet some other shenan- shenanites, mm-hmm, other mm-hmm. other listeners, podcast players, developers. Um, we're going to do a live podcast episode and we're going to do a sneak demo, I guess. Yeah, Not a preview, yeah. a sneak demo of yeah. Levelhead. And so you'll get to play the game long before anybody else. And we're going to be doing active development right up until the the nanosecond. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it won't be, you know, a super polished demo. Oh, it's going to be just a total shit piece. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even going to work. Um, and you that's, you know, you get to peek right into the development process. Yep. Covered in bugs. Man. Yeah. It's going to be crashing. Um, it's actually just an inexpensive leaks. way for us to do QA. Yeah. You, you know? Yeah. Or actually, it's a very expensive yeah. thing for us <laughs> to do QA. Uh, yeah. So this is the last week for for tickets. And those tickets are 15 bucks. And there's also going to be food provided. Uh, so it's a pretty, pretty sweet deal. So check that out. That's over at meat.bscotch.net. All right. Now, Sam, you wanted to talk about... Parkasaurus. Yes. So I was on uh, the industry news yesterday. Yeah, the industry news. You know? Yep. And uh, I saw the devs from Parkasaurus were talking about the game and about sort of what they've been up to. And I think it's just a very interesting case study. So what it is is it's just two people mm-hmm. who made this basically a zoo tycoon game, but it's sort of the classic Jurassic Park situation, right? So basically you have to go back in time. Probably not, actually, not classic Jurassic Park, but similar idea. So you go back in time, you get dinosaur eggs, you bring them back. And then you make like a sweet amusement park for your people, right? Yeah, so you capture babies from the past. Yes, you steal babies. From Wait the past. a minute. When you steal a dinosaur from the past, is there Don't also worry about chaos theory? Okay. Yeah. I was say, it literally back says to the future there, moment like, where yeah. like your spouse disappears because <laughs> no. you stole their great grandpappy. I think anything that happened before the asteroid hit, you're probably fine. You know, it's like that's such a big reset. Well, probably- I mean, unless you capture, you know, the the great great ancestor of the dinosaur that would have solved the asteroid problem. That's yeah, true. The sort of Einstein. Of Maybe today, that's why yeah. it happened, though. You know, because of the going back in time thing. Someone stole that's that. That's true. <laughs> we are living in the branch of the time tree. Actually, yeah. Maybe, maybe what what happened on the original branch is that at the same time, they, like there were people, but we were just these little, 
you know, shitty little mm-hmm. things that were just barely scraping by in the land of dinosaurs that were all super intelligent. But then some rogue human scientists, just like in the Terminator, you know, came went back. back in time to kill the one that prevented Sarah the Connor. Po- exactly. And there was a Santa, There's Sarah a- Connor situation. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. The Sarah Connor dinosaur. Sarah Compsognathus. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, so uh, so in, in Park Source, you go back in time, you grab an egg, you bring it forward, and then you build this cool park. And so – but the, the difference is that you know, Jurassic Park has like a very realistic, very gritty kind of aesthetic. Uh, this is very cartoonish and hilarious. And so the, the, the like Triceratops and stuff all have these huge eyeballs, kind of almost like googly eyes, right? And so everything just looks very cute. The, the aesthetic is very simple and fun. And – it was really interesting, I think, as far as like a general case study goes, because you know we talk a lot about not launching around the same time as AAA games. Well, Jurassic Park World launched a zoo tycoon sort of game. Oh no! Just recently, like apparently a month or two ago. Yeah, uh, I think that was more like six months, six ago. months ago. So a while ago. A while ago. And uh, but interestingly, of course, they're doing these indie guys are doing just fine. Yeah, because well, they didn't launch. I think when they say don't launch at the same time, they mean like literally the same week, the same moment right. when right. you're competing yeah. for feature spots. Yeah, because if they launched the same week as Jurassic Park, it may Tycoon, they would have at least it, the news side would have, they would have been drowned out, right? But if it's a different enough game, mm-hmm. which it sounds like it is, uh, and also the the Jurassic Park game was kind of kind of middlingly received, yeah, um, because there were aspects of it that were super fun um, and it felt really good. But it, my understanding was it it didn't feel. Uh, it felt too constrained in some way or something mm-hmm. on on average. Sure. So so the people were still what, what kind of think what it did is, is actually by launching afterwards is Jurassic Park that game created the niche probably primed the audience exactly and people wanted more they wanted something like they yeah. were like I see where this could go yeah but, but I don't like where there. it went right so then so, when this game came out then it was basically yeah well so they're in early access right now actually they're not even fully launched yet yeah but they're already like according to their reviews I mean they're doing pretty good pretty well it's came out I think a couple weeks ago and so. It's just really interesting to see sort of that pairing of – I mean you, you very rarely get that opportunity to see a, a AAA game that is basically the same game actually as a indie game. And mm-hmm. then basically with the graphics change and then sort of you know general design changes and stuff. But seeing those launch within sort of even a six-month window and then seeing them both do fine. I know, think there's an interesting you still question there too, which is better would it done. What's, what studio made the Jurassic Park game? Do you know? No idea. Yeah, because that's the thing. Yeah. Because it – it may be a, a, a big budget game. game, but it may not actually be. And it's it's a big budget game on a popular franchise, but it's not part of a gaming franchise. It's not like a Call right. of Duty game or you know yeah. that kind of thing. So I think you know those kinds of things are. It's just like when a when a video game gets made into a movie, you know, yeah. tends pretty, to not translate. Pretty hit or miss. <laughs> and maybe if you go the other way, uh, sometimes it doesn't pan out either. Because I know, like for example, Lego Star Wars, amazing, so yeah, fun. Um, but, but the Lego games themselves really just have a lot of legs to stand on. Like they're just a very good set of games. So there's like the Lego Harry Potter and that kind of stuff. Well, they have their own style, right? They have their own brand and style that's actually completely distinct from their toys. Yeah. And so, so if, you know, and they're, and if you're going to make a game that's trying to be completely faithful to the source material of the movie, then oftentimes that puts weird constraints on the design that, you know, you can't have as much fun with it as you could when you're totally off on your own making weird googly-eyed dinosaurs and going back in time and stealing (laughs) eggs and stuff. Um, Because you can come up with anything that sounds fun, make mechanics that work, and you don't need to ask anybody's, you know, permission Permission, for that that IP. So, very interesting. On to life news and world news. Mm. I went to New York City this past weekend. Yes, the big apple. Went to the apple. How how was it? It was amazing. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed almost everything about the city. So we'll talk about a wild place. We'll talk about the good and then we'll talk about the not as good. <laughs> uh, so I think I I'm from the Midwest and I've met a lot of people from New York. And you've never been before, right? You've never, been in, never been in New York City. And there's one question that I always get from people from New York City, which is they go, what do you even do there when they hear that mm-hmm. I'm from Iowa or St. Louis or whatever? Uh, and I thought that. This was kind of sinking in as I was talking to people in New York City because the things that they're describing of what they do there is is literally no different. Mm-hmm. So they go to bars. They go to restaurants. They go to nightclubs. Yeah. They go to plays. They go see movies. They go hang out with friends. Mm-hmm. These are activities that are available in li- literally every city mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. whole world, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but 
so I didn't I didn't want to like burst anybody's bubble. So I was just like, oh, that's amazing. As people were telling me all these things that they could go do, <laughs> uh, because they were so excited about it that I thought I'll just let them have it. Sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, go. Um, but but what I was what I was kind of wondering about was like, why would you think that somehow no other place would have these things? Mm-hmm. And so I, and as I was kind of like touring the city and seeing all the things, I was like. I started to understand, I feel like, because everywhere you go in New York City, you see things that are present in pop culture all over the place. So like in the Avengers movie, where was the big battle? It was the battle for New York, right? And Cloverfield, the Statue of Liberty's head goes flying and crashing into an apartment, right? Um, Ghostbusters. They fill the Statue of Liberty up with goo and then bleh, or like the Marshmallow Man, like tramp, you know, stamps through this New York, like downtown New York mm-hmm. City. Um, Seinfeld, New York, right? Uh, a lot of things. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you know, like right there. 30 Rock. 30 Rock, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, so there, I feel like it, may, it would make sense that if you live there, since so much of American pop culture just kind of like orbits the cultural gravity well of mm. New York City – that you would start to wonder, like, is there really anything else? Like, this is <laughs> everything just kind of keeps pointing back where I am, uh-huh. you know? And so it would make sense to kind of think that the rest of the country is just kind of must this, be a reason for that. Yeah, the rest of the country is just this desolate wasteland of tumbleweeds and sad people standing around staring at blank walls with mm-hmm. literally nothing to do, you know? Uh, so that was kind of like I used to, I used to, I, I would hold that against people. When they would say like, "What do you even do there?" Because uh-huh. I would think, "How could you possibly you? ask that? <laughs> what does it even? What mean? do you mean by that?" But I think I get it now, just because it's an exposure problem. Sure, because they're so looped back onto themselves, basically. Yeah, everything. Of how everything yeah, works. if everything points back where you are, then you start to wonder well, like, "Why would, would that be?" Yeah, exactly. You, know? you would assume that there's some reason for that besides just historical happenstance, right? right? And right. positive feedback loops. And but you would think there must be a reason that everybody like talks about New York incessantly and why this sort of represents the United States somehow as a whole right. and so on, right? Mm-hmm. And and as you as you travel around New York City, I, I feel like I you know, it it was just that that whole idea of like it's an important place with a capital I, you know, with Im- important things happen here, good and bad, mm-hmm. and important people are here, good and bad. Um important everything's important. It's historically important, it's important. Mm-hmm. And I get like it is totally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as like, as I'm checking out, you know, Statue of Liberty, Ellis Island, where 16 million immigrants came right. through for like a 80 year period. Um, of course I went to the nine 11 Memorial, mm-hmm. which was very emotionally, uh, charged mm-hmm. and like, th- that's a whole, like that changed the course of everything, right. you know, uh, in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's all these, and then like go down to wall street, there's the bull there, you know, and like, oh, this is the financial center yeah, of the I mean, US. It is all there. And it's all like within a mile. Right. You know, it's all hyper concentrated into this really small space. And so I, you know, I, I feel like I get it hmm. as you, as you're walking around that city and you just keep stumbling across these incredible historic things that are, that are either historically relevant or still relevant today. Um, you can't help but just kind of feel like by being there that you are also part of it. Yeah, that's you know? what I was going to ask about. It's like, did you find that the sort of general charge of the city sort of rubbed on you in a good way? Because when I was there, it was a, like, the energy does feel weirdly high. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, like, yeah, everybody I, everybody I sort of was able to chat with, um, they were just so pumped to be a part of this thing. You know, and I felt like this is like this is a great city. Right. You know, uh, in in a way that I haven't really experienced in other cities, where everybody there is just they they just want to be around it. You know, like that's the whole like it's, that's the whole thing. It's just the city itself is the thing that everybody has the vision of right. being a part of. You know, so uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a very different experience than I've, I've and I've been to a lot of cities, um, and this was just a whole other thing. thing. Yeah. Uh, so that was pretty amazing. Interesting, and then. What happened on the flip side in terms of <laughs> in terms of not so great experiences was I think this maybe man this this whole idea of like I want to be part of this important thing, you know, I want to feel like I'm part of like I matter and I'm important as well, potentially manifests itself in unusual ways. Uh where so for example, I stayed at an Airbnb and from from about two o'clock in the morning till six o'clock in the morning, every single night that I was there. So for three nights in a row, uh, there were at least 50 people partying 
on the street right outside the apartment and their party mostly involved them uh, yelling, just yelling, not like yelling words, but just yelling. And then mm-hmm. and then they had their cars parked in a row and they would just alternate honking at each other with their parked cars. <laughs> and then on the final night, one of them brought uh, an amp, an amplifier. And then they started playing sounds that sound like a kid's laser gun. It's just like, you know, like, or like a crazy car alarm sound. And so they did that for four hours from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And there had to have been at least, you know, 500 apartments lining this street. It's like a lot of people are living here trying to sleep. Um, And, and this was their activity overnight. (laughs) Uh, But that, that, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but I kind of felt like. It was a like, look, I exist. Mm. You know, like that was the whole point of mm-hmm. that activity. Well, it's uh, hard to see any other point for that particular activity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, it's, but it's the same as like you see graffiti on a wall, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like, why would somebody do that? You know, kind of deep down. Like, or why would somebody like blast information out on Twitter mm-hmm. about like personal information about the salad that they're eating? It's all part of the same thing, which is like people want to matter. They want to be, they want the world to know that they're there. Put your mark on stuff. Yeah. And so, sure, you bring an amplifier and a noisemaker and you sit outside for four hours and scream and make noise because there's 500 people out there who, at the very least, are going to be mad, but they will know that you were there. Yeah. yeah I don't know. The logic on that one's just off. <laughs> it's real loose. But the whole time that was happening, I was thinking, I was thinking, are these lawyers? Are they accountants? Are they waiters? Who are like, these What do people? they do? What do they what do they do? I've never met a person whose pastime is, oh, yeah, from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. or 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. I just go scream outside of people's living space. Well, they have a group, too. That's the confusion. It, it, it was a big like, activity. Yeah, if it was one person, you'd be like, whatever, you know. But, yeah, a group of people, that's a coordinated effort yeah. at that point. They're really going for it. So and then I thought, the And I thought, and then at some point, these people all dissipate and they res- they're out there again, mm-hmm. you know. It's kind of like when somebody, when somebody leaves a troll comment on YouTube and you're like, but where are they? Mm-hmm. Where are these people out in the real world? What are they doing? How do they live with themselves? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, so I didn't sleep. I'm very tired. But it was <laughs> – so, I mean, overall, it was an incredible, incredible experience. It is an interesting thing that that whole idea of of getting importance via proximity, you know, where, where – by, like, by living in an important place. Yeah, where people of, get people get pride in things that they have n- nothing to do with, you know, because there's a whole like – Pride in country. Like, I'm so proud that my yeah. country, like, defeated this other one in war. It's like, well, did you? What happened to sports, too? There's, and it's sports. Yeah, there's yeah, tons of sports fans. Proud to, be, proud to be an American. That's a common phrase. You know, yeah. It's like, to beat, like, what did you do, though? You just, <laughs> you just, you just are, right? And, You're and just then, in it. But then the closer <laughs> you get to it, the more, even if you don't actually directly participate, then somehow the more true that becomes, the more of your self-identity kind of gets wrapped up in it. Because I, 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 that's a lot of the sense that I've gotten with people from uh, cities that have like this really big, you know, world renowned. This gravitas. Uh, this gravitas is because most of the people in those cities aren't doing anything different than anybody in any Correct. other place. Right. Doing normal things. They're just living their lives, doing normal stuff. It would stuff. be They're impossible not... for everyone in the city oh, yeah. to be doing really, really too important, many important things. <laughs> <that happen. laughs> yeah. So almost every, almost every single person in all these cities is just living their normal lives, having no impact on that city the way that people think about the reason that that city is important. Like there's only one know? mayor. There's of, one mayor, you know, and that kind of there's stuff. There's one, the Daily Show, right? There's just yeah. there's just a handful of people that are actually doing all this that are stuff. Sort of, that are sort of actively moving that that cultural weight. Yeah, the cultural the, weight right. of this. But then somehow, just by being there, you're like, this is mine. Mm-hmm. I did this. You know, yeah. I find it very strange. <laughs> that that's yeah. Yeah. Where, I mean, I, this is why I, I also have a. I personally have a hard time getting behind. Uh, active sports watching. Yeah, because I'm like, you know, I don't, the same why would I care who wins? Yeah, because you know? yeah, people, people, fans of one team will talk shit about fans of another team. I'm like, but you could just choose to, like, you switch could just sides. switch, you could stop yeah. at any point. But I think it's the important thing is that, uh, because giving you that, that thing to attach yourself to, it gives you this other identity point as like a, it's just like another sort of it's it, well, it's importance by proxy. Yeah, right? it's yeah. Important, but I mean, it's another it's another point in sort of your buildup of like what you are as a person, right? Because people basically exist relative to other things. Yes, it's sort of the general understanding of how you work as a person, well, and is, people often define themselves by what they aren't, you know, by yeah. some by some other that they mm-hmm. can identify. Yeah, I guess we should be thankful that that people are doing things like sports teams because yes. that's. That's sort of one of the least harmful ways yeah, no, to categorize yourself. So it does t- tend to cause a lot of damage. When sports events happen, it does cause a lot of property, property damage. Yeah. yeah, on occasion. 
but I guess that is still better than all out, you know, civil unrest. Yeah. So I guess, I guess there's that. Which actually reminds me. We got to channel it. Yeah. This weekend I spent basically the entire weekend reading uh, The Three Body Problem, um, which is a a sci-fi series that, that recently, I don't know if it, Recently, I became very aware of it, so I don't know if it is a recent thing. I didn't pay much attention, but it's uh, uh, but it's really good. It's it's by a Chinese author, and it's been translated. Um, uh, or the, I'm reading the English translation of it, um, and it's all about basically how with humanity, because it's basically humanity faces an existential threat of an alien race, right? And the entire series is basically about, I think, a pretty realistic view about how people would handle that, and sort of the the, the summary of it, I guess, is that despite the fact that humans were going to, they're just kind of fucked anyway. Mm-hmm. If, if some like higher force existed, you know, most of the reasons they were fucked in particular is because of themselves. You know? <laughs> and it's just, it's just that repeated so over and over again. Can't help, but they just can't so. help, but make it worse, you mm-hmm. know, over and over and over again. And every time that this thing happened, like it felt very insightful as a way of looking at all of this, but it, it had little pieces of all of this. Like people can't help, but attach themselves Two ideas for no fucking reason. And they can't help but <laughs> just because they, they need something. Just because they need something. And so it's it's a really interesting dive into that. Mm. It's pretty fun. Yeah, I've been reading The Expanse. And that's, 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 the, the, same. that's the same yep. Yep. same story. It's, yeah, the, there's this sort of un, universe, potentially like solar system ending thing happening. But most of what people are trying They're to do is figure out, like, it's probably going to be fine. So instead, I'm going to make a power grab and try yep. to take over this yep. space station or like do this other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, people, man, what are you going to do? What, <laughs> what are you going to do? do? Uh, all right. So then, Sam, mm-hmm. you had one of those weekends. I've had, Let's, well, it's just been odd. So, well, first, I was celebrating my two year anniversary, which was awesome. So, Diane and I ran around the city. And I got to say, we've seen those scooters outside. There are more. There's okay. tons of them. We took to the scoots. On Saturday. You scooted? We scooted. It was so fucking fun. <laughs> it was unbelievable. <laughs> because it's like a buck. It's like a buck to get started. So we, we got them uh, in Central West End. Is there an app or something that you use? Yeah. So you just get an app. You take a picture and it unlocks. I have no idea. It's like fucking magic. So nice. the, the scooter unlocks and then you just. Is, there, is it timed? How do you. No. It just charges you based on how far you went. Oh. That's it. So. It's, like a, it's a scuba. Yeah. And the and <laughs> they are based. It's no, distance based, and they are electrically powered. So uh, basically, once you sort of kick off, then you there's a throttle, and it like like it really kicks in, and you yeah. go. And so we took them through Forest Park, which is just gigantic a green space. place to do it. Yeah. yeah. So we basically we were in Central West End, ate some food, hopped on a scooter, went across the entire park, which took like 15 minutes. We're going like 16 miles an hour. We're in the bike lane, yeah. like we we're just <laughs> blazing it. But the best part was, I mean, bikers are passing us, but of course they are working super hard. <laughs> Just standing there and just sort of like billowing in the wind, and it was a gorgeous day. And so we drive across the park, and then we go to get ice cream on the other side of the park. Uh, Dinah's scooter dies when, like, as we're I was wondering about that. Yeah, so when that happens, we didn't really check. We didn't know how it works. We didn't check the battery life on both of them. So hers, hers was sort of petering out as we got to the end. But it was so fun. So so fun. your scooter dies. Then what? Then what happens? You to just it? leave it. You just put it somewhere. But. Ha- how does it get recharged? Do they have some other like battery powered tracking thing on there that has a backup? Yeah, so well, they're tracking the battery of it like via the app thing too. And then there's a whole other program. Like the other side of it is that if if you want to earn money, oh, you can go like collect you can them. go pick up the scooters and put them <laughs> at recharge stations. Oh, so then you can like put credits back into your yes. scoot account. And if you like, if these you, kinds of things are so crazy, so cool. If you, <laughs> I mean, it's brilliant. If but you scoot to a a one of these charging stations, I believe the ride is free. So if you bring your scooter back to a one of these hubs. Yeah. I did. So, but somebody just realized exactly this. They're like, okay, we want to put a fleet of scooters out, but people are just going to fucking leave them everywhere. And they're mm-hmm. like, okay, well, cool. What if we just also pay people to pick them back yeah, up? Yeah. And then we just make sure that there's a little bit left over for us. And then all we do, all they had to do was deploy an app, right? They just put an app on the app store yeah. and then they just go dump a truckload a of scooter. scooters <laughs> out anywhere. Yeah. And, they, and then they just walk away. It's amazing. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, I absolutely love it. So, but we were talking about it a little bit because then we the scooter died, so we go eat ice cream and then we call an Uber because now we're trapped on the other side <laughs> of the city. And then I was like, "What the fuck is happening?" So now I'm in a stranger's car. I just scooted on some stranger's scooter across uh-huh. the city. You know, go left back. one of them. We just like or just, left both of them. Yeah, I guess. left both of them on the side <laughs> of the road. Like some rando at some point's gonna go scoop them up. Yeah, someone's getting just them. like picking up after you. I just just so odd. The whole thing. I was like, "What is? We're living in the future." You know. <laughs> But anyway, so that was the fun part of the weekend. But huh. the the bad part was that on Thursday night, yes, I believe, Thursday night, um, 
I was flossing. I felt like I had a, like a like a popcorn kernel in my tooth. And so I was getting all up in there with the floss, trying to get it out. Couldn't seem to get it out. And I was like, what the hell? So I was like, I'll just go in one more time, see if I can get it. So get in there and really give it a good, you know, good yank pop thing, try to get that out. <laughs> and then something hard comes out, like in big. And I spit it out and I was looking at it. And just it just took me a while. And I was like, that's a part of my fucking tooth. <laughs> and so and Diana's standing right there. She yeah, looks at like, there's no like, way. Ah! Yeah, like, there's no way that that could have been wedged in between your teeth. Yeah. Had to be your tooth. And so, and then I'm bleeding from the mouth because I have literally ripped part of my tooth off. And with floss. With floss. <laughs> That's something. They don't warn you about that at the dentist, I'll tell you that. No. Like, have you been flossing because you have too many teeth? I told I told my <laughs> wife about this on Friday, and she was like, what? <laughs> and then she was like, that would only happen to say <laughs> Well, this is yeah, more likely exactly. that you – because I fractured my tooth mm-hmm. uh, a long time ago. I think I think it was around the time I started doing CrossFit where I was lifting a lot of heavy weight and, and I, was clenching clenching so my, oh. I was clenching my teeth. And I got this hairline fracture in one of my teeth, but I didn't know I didn't feel anything until maybe a week later. I was eating some like hard crust bread. You know, like there's some bread mm-hmm. that just the crust is real fucking hard. Mm-hmm. And I was searing pain shut into my mouth. And I was like, ow. I was like, I'll just chew on the other side. So I chew on the other <laughs> side. And then uh and then it was fine. And then the next time I ate hard crust bread, same thing. Because mm. apparently these don't heal. They just, no. you get that yeah, split yeah. fracture and it's just, that's just it now. It's you're, just your tooth now. It's just done now. So I think I had that fracture for maybe a month. And then finally I called the dentist. I was like, yeah, every time I eat this hard bread, <laughs> my right this tooth hurts. And they're like, oh yeah, it's probably fractured. But yeah, so I think what what can happen is you'll get these little tiny fractures mm. from something, maybe clenching your teeth or something, but that you don't feel at the time. There's nothing visible happening. Mm. And then something else happens, like you're flossing, and then your tooth just well, so explodes. Despite eating a tremendous amount of candy all the time, uh, I don't know if our genetics – do you guys have many cavities? I brushed my uh, teeth I have had one – yeah, I brushed my teeth a lot, but I, I've only had one cavity. Right. In so my whole life. We don't really get cavities very much, despite the fact that most of, we've just been swimming in sugar for yeah. most of our days. So well, like We're also swimming in coffee, and I think – we, And we drink just, our coffee without sugar. So I think so just, just the burning. sheer acid just like melts all the bacteria. Whatever we're doing is working out in terms of yeah. mouth health. But <laughs> in the short term. <laughs> I've only, short well, yeah. So I'd only actually had one cavity ever, and it was I got like a little filling for it, and that was on that tooth. So, with the, so I went to the dentist, and they – we're looking at it and they're like, oh, okay, so they think what happened was that that filling basically got fractured in some way. And then what I caught was the edge of the filling poking out. And then when I like you just power it. snapped it out, I also ripped out part of my tooth <laughs> with it. <laughs> so this now, is why flossing is dangerous. It is very dangerous. Uh-huh. So now I have to go in this morning and get a fucking two-hour operation to get a crown put on my tooth. And then I got to go back in two weeks and then do it again to finish it out. Mm-hmm. So, so they're, they're going to put a temporary crown on this time, which mm-hmm. sucks. Because it's like all weird shaped. It's shaped. Yeah. When I, when I had my temporary crown for this fractured tooth, it was it was more like a weird plastic peg. You know? <laughs> it was like rough. Uh, great. Great. It was like rough. And whenever I chewed stuff on that side, it would put pressure on it. It did not feel good. But it was just like, it just it was, there's clearly something not that's not supposed to be all right, there. So I'm going to be going on smoothies, I think. Probably. <laughs> but, so this, sucks. Was, this was incident number one. So... Uh, later on then I go to open the back door in the house. So, okay, my tooth has already exploded, did the dentist thing. And then it turned out your other tooth was tied to the doorknob. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but I go to, I go to, like a nightmare. <laughs> I go to unlock the back door to let the dog out and the lock is like, it's, it's just, it's not working now. So this is really sticky and you got to like, you got to almost just like punch it to get it to fucking open. Okay. And so, you, so, so you, you did in another tooth. So, so you grabbed, so you grabbed your floss and you're like, I know how to get, I know how to get this door open. <laughs> The so lock's broken, and then I'm driving, and in my car, I hit the left turning signal because I actually use my turning signal. Oh, wait. So what happened with the lock? Did it, you just couldn't get it's it? It's just kind of broken. I thought you were going to say you were, you were so enraged from the tooth thing that you just yanked the lock and snapped it. No, I've been snapped trying it. not to do step function energy. You know, <laughs> yeah, it just seemed like it's a bad move. So you get in the yeah. car, and your left blinker won't work. So then you karate chop yeah. it. Yeah. So, well, it doesn't work. So my left blinker's out also. So you yeah. get out your floss, and you're like, I'm going to fix this blinker. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's just shattering around me. <laughs> and you got to go get a blinker crown. Yep. And that's a whole uh, thing. I can drill around it, put this weird the, plastic peg on it. Got to go to the car dentist. People to always get tell it. me that I should floss. I literally never floss. 
like ever. That's my favorite. But my, the only reason that my dentist can tell is because of how much my gums bleed when they stab me with floss and sharp mm-hmm. implements. And I'm like, like mm, yeah, the only reason stuff. for me to floss <laughs> is so that when you stab me, I bleed. I bleed, I bleed I less. Bleed. That seems like a crazy reason to do that. It is a little wild. My dentist yeah. would say, your gums are supposed to be like hair. You know, when you get a haircut, you're not supposed to bleed. And I'm like, so when I get my gums cut, I'm not supposed to believe I don't think that's something I can control. That's a horrible metaphor also. Who chose that? My dentist. <laughs> Maybe I should go to a different dentist. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, okay. It would be funny if Sam goes back with this new oh, crown. Oh, no. and it's, like, it's an awesome crown. And it was just you with your weird dentist. Who what? says weird things that gave you this plastic crown. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is. Well, I asked him about because it takes him like a week to get the new tooth in. The, the one that's supposed to fit your mouth appropriately. But these are the ones that used to be gold and silver. Yeah. And now they're just, now they're she's ceramic. like, yeah, so here's what it looks like. It's, you know, it looks exactly like a tooth. And I was like, what if I don't want that? <laughs> <laughs> what if I want to, what if I want a silver tooth? Is it like a back molar? Yeah, it's a back molar. But I don't think I'm going to get it because it probably costs It's more. a lot more. Expensive. Yeah. 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 They're ceramic now, I think. It looked, I don't know what the hell it was. It looked like a tooth. It's kind of creepy. It looks like a tooth. If it's stronger than your normal teeth, you can be like, you know, while you're in there, just, just hit all. all. Yep. Yeah. I don't know why I got these crappy breakable teeth. Yeah. Give me some yeah, they have teeth. like cold sensitivity and stuff. Well, it's ever weird you, you guys know? out because they're bones. They are yeah. exposed bones that you use to mash. I, I know it's even weirder. I hate Elephant everything. tusks are just teeth. Yeah. And narwhal horns are teeth that grow yeah. through the tops of their own heads. That's also true. What about bull But it's horns? also, it's just their left tooth. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes yeah. they have both. Sometimes they have double Every once in a while, yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's the right tooth on some like some weird- I don't know about bull horns, but rhino horns are just hair. Yeah. Bull horns must just be hair then too. Probably just hair. I think bull horns are actual horns. But it is kind of weird though that for some reason bulls don't have to have teeth growing out of their heads, but everything else- Yeah, does. how come they figured it out? <laughs> <laughs> kind of seems unfair. That's it where does. that term bullheaded comes from because they were stubborn enough to be like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to use my teeth. I'm not going to grow teeth through the top of my head like a weirdo. <laughs> I'm going to find another way. What am I, a narwhal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so bullheaded. All right, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. If you'd like to get a question on a future episode, go over there and then, put, then do the questions box thing. <gasps> First question comes from I am Cade. Do you guys actually drink coffee when you record your podcast i'm doing it right now yeah i just finished mine there's yeah. your answer there's your answer yeah it's usually because it's in the morning now so so yeah definitely i to so that it doesn't interrupt my vocalizations i like to do a thing where i just have like an iv bag of coffee above my head mm. it drips onto my bald scalp it just yeah. runs Absorbs down in. runs down the creases of my face and trickles into and the corner of my mouth. completely misses your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of get the, I get the aroma of it. Uh-huh, yep. You know, you could just get one of those Camelback, you know, backpack water. It seems like seems like a lot of work. <laughs> I'll stick with my IV bag dripping right, on right, my face. You do you technique? Yeah. <laughs> you ever you ever feel like <laughs> the smell of coffee is much is just so much better than most other things about coffee? Like you open up, you smell. open up a bag of coffee beans. You're just like, oh yeah, and then mm-hmm. you drink it, and it's just kind of like bitter acid. Yep, that's yeah. why the ice cream's so good because the ice cream is just the smell of coffee somehow in taste form, but which which is with sugar and milk though. Boy, yeah, it's ice cream. So yeah. it's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now here's another question mm-hmm. about coffee that I have. What you got? While we're while we're exploring, yeah, sure. Let's go. So, acid is sour. Yep. Is it term- always sour? I mean, unless it melts your tongue off. That's really sour. <laughs> too sour. Right. So think about like those warheads that you ate growing up and burned Destroyed. a hole in your tongue. They were very sour. They're so sour because you're burning a hole in your tongue. You know. What are bases? Bases, I don't think actually. Are they also sour? No. Because acid, you know, adds extra hydrogens into the, into, into water. Mm-hmm. So. This is why like so lemons are so sour. Yeah. So basically what you're tasting is like that, just the extra hydrogen concentrations. So you're basically mm-hmm. tasting the, the acid level. But for, I don't think there is actually a taste for when things get more basic. So mm. coffee is acidic. Mm-hmm. Why is it bitter? Because it also has lots of other stuff in it. Oh, so yeah, basically, <laughs> so it's bitter, like just a pile of acid. Bitter is the more is like the more complex, interesting one because you have a so you have a whole bunch of different kinds of taste receptors, right? But when it comes to things like sour, you basically only got one because it's just like how many hydrogen ions are in there. That's pretty straightforward. Mm. You don't need more than one kind of thing to detect that. But when it comes to bitter, bitter is basically uh, a way to detect 
organic compounds of various sorts. Organic meaning, you know, lots of carbons and oxygens and hydrogens all shoved together in some interesting way because that's basically all the cool things that do stuff biologically uh, are these complex molecules. Mm. And so we, of course, need to be able to eat food that won't kill us. And so step one. So that's step so that's that's the usually step. the first step. <laughs> but the way that we have to do a that, successful so, life. Yeah, uh-huh. So so it's of course very easy for us now because we have this whole system in place where you go to the grocery store and we know that none of that will kill us, right? But before those times when you mostly had to go out and eat plants, you had to somehow know when you started to eat a plant if it was gonna kill you. So before and you so swallow it. Before you swallow it ideally. And so bitter uh taste is kind of the main mechanism to do that because most things that have biological activity um, are, again, these complex compounds, and we've evolved to be able to identify certain kinds of patterns in those, those molecules that are toxic. So when you taste bitter, that's basically a, an evolutionary mechanism to identify that something is probably poison. This is why medicines are universally bitter, right? Because they're actual poison. poisons. Yeah, hmm. um, but in low well, this doses, is why dogs won't eat them when you try to give them yes, their pills. They taste they're horrible. Like, no, because they yeah. just assume it's going to be poisoned. You know, from like a deep evolution. And they're not wrong. And they're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, but but this is it's not to say that all. And what it's about not at Brussels all the sprouts? Well, exactly, because it's not at all the case that all bitter things are actually toxic. Okay, not even close. It's just that the correlation is high enough. The correlation or? is high enough that mm. it, it on an evolutionary timescale, if you just avoided bitter things, you were more likely to not die. Right. And if you sought out sweet things, you were you're good. Yeah, you were more likely to not die also. Because that's so because that's mangoes. Yep. And that's how you live. They're so that's, good. That's how you live. So good. Yeah. And so now we have all these complex different bitter tastes, but uh, but it's interesting because we we, mm. we now seek out bitter things that uh, well we have to we have to grow accustomed to them. This is why basically you know anything with any bitter taste whatsoever people hate unless they've adapted to it. Because that's, we that's have like what an evolutionary yeah. drive to hate it. That's yeah. what the acquired taste is. Exactly. You acquire tastes by just but that's interesting, right? Getting over your exposure, getting by over getting, your animal self. Yeah, by getting over your evolution. So, so would you say that someone who doesn't like the taste, just of, an animal, of you know broccoli, yeah, spinach, you're, coffee, you're, you're just an animal still. You gotta, yes. you gotta, you gotta, you gotta put mind over animal mm-hmm. and ascend to a higher plane, mm-hmm. and then you, and then, then you get, yeah, <laughs> then, then you get the reward of eating broccoli. To be Brussels fair, sprout. those things are delicious. They are delicious. After, after, you, get after into, you get over how bad they taste and learn to like it. Yeah, you get into that. Then you're like, this plane. is great. <laughs> it is. It's fantastic. <laughs> I, fucking love I mean, coffee's the same way, right? Yep. Back to, all right, we looped it back to coffee. We're good. <laughs> Perfect. Question done. Next question. Map5597 asks, how would you feel about a community-created Crashlands creator? Uh, go ahead. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, wish that on anybody. Yeah, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. After Adam actually built it, and we saw what what pieces of his soul and mind had to be sacrificed at the altar to make that thing. But really, I mean, happen. building it wasn't even. I mean, it was a lot of hard work, right? But the main thing is managing people's use of it. And yes. so the nice thing about the community is they don't have to answer to anybody, right? Mm-hmm. They can be a whole bu- – I'm not saying the community is a whole bunch of shit faces, but they could be. They and, could it would be. be. <laughs> and it would be fine uh-huh. because like what's anybody going to do about it, right? And who's like – yeah, some people could be angry at them, but like it, it's not official. It doesn't feel like it's a real problem. So this is kind of – I think this is why modern when you, Wait, what do you mean by that? Like, what, in, what would like, they do? As in if – because if somebody did make a, a tool to like let me – Like a stuff, Steam Workshop style. Like thing, a Steam Workshop style right. thing. Then all of a sudden the universe would be flooded with – People saying horrible things in, in you know, Crashlands campaigns, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And painting swastikas on the ground and doing all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff, right? This would be the world that you would have created. Okay. So, but we didn't do that, so it's not our fault, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Right? Somebody else made the creator. Somebody else made it. And it's and- now like – it's got it. This got this like loose ownership on it, mm-hmm. and so it's now it's kind of no one's fault. Well, this is kind of where this is where things. modding it comes yeah, from, right? You know, people want to do whatever they want to do in their game, and that's. Fine, as long as they keep it contained, keep it yourself to their it, own version. Yeah, of you Skyrim keep it kind or, of isolated away from from the the official thing, right? Yeah, because then again, it's it's now the only people who can who need to be held accountable are the people who did the bad thing. Versus if you're the one who provides the tool and you do it in an official capacity, then you are now also culpable. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's kind of where I'm like, yeah, if you do it, that's that's it's awesome. fine. There's going to be some horrible stuff in there, but it won't really be your fault because you definitely don't have the resources to manage that. It's not our fault anymore because we didn't do it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's, do, it's only it. those people's fault. There's also the the added question of 
of the cross-platform nature of things, yeah. which is you you make your creator and, and it works on Steam, right? But then we patch the game and like basically every – we have something like 12 different versions of Crashlands now right. across all the different platforms. And they're all up to date, but they also have very slight differences between them, which are kind of platform specific or platform dependent. Um, and so you may make a campaign that plays perfectly well on PC, but then you flip over to the mobile version or something. And for some reason that you can't discern because you don't also Crash. have the code base of the game, mm -hmm. there's some aspect of that campaign that won't work. But also how are you going to get it? Because the only platform you'll be able to reliably get it on is PC. Right. Because we know, we know Apple has some pretty strict guidelines on user-generated content. Well, uh, even just in general, because it had to be delivered over the internet. And so you'd have to be able to deliver it somehow to the, in a way that the, the game could access, yeah. which means yeah. that we would have to build a repository for you. Mm -hmm. And now it's right. our fault again. And so now we have to be responsible uh, crap. for everything that keeps coming back on us. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. Yeah, I think, I, think it's, uh, I think we could do it if it was just like just on Steam and it was just a Steam Workshop thing. And we just said like – he, if you put things in this folder, they will just appear in the game and that's fine. You know, we, we could do something like that. Um, uh, the question is just, you know, does, is that good? I don't know. Is it? I don't know. I think it, it can be. I mean, certainly the mods have been something that gave something like uh, Skyrim a you know, decade long life cycle. Yep. Um, so there, it's, it's cool to be able to turn things over to the community, but I think it's mainly just that question of the realities of management on top of that. Yeah. Which is that we're not big enough to be able to support even a modern community, I would think at this point. No, yeah, well, because so. yeah, it introduces these other problems besides just people just being butts, which is which yeah. is definitely a problem. But there's a an actual that doesn't actually become a legal problem for us. It just becomes an ethical problem, mm -hmm. right? So, which means that a person could choose not to deal with an ethical problem, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a legal problem which comes down to infringement issues because now if somebody makes you know the uh, the Zelda mod for Crashlands. Um, where does that leave well, us? Where does gets, that leave us? Who gets a takedown in that case? Yeah, because now Steam Do is we, delivering it. Yeah, uh, but it's being played Someone in made our it. game. And I believe I this know. would this would probably fall under a DMCA situation. Yeah. Kind of like kind of like how somebody can take copyrighted content, upload it onto YouTube, and now it's the responsibility of the platform to take things down that get flagged. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So we are a plat. We're operating as a platform in that scenario, and so if somebody makes one of those mods and it gets reported, then we have to take it down. Interesting. Yeah. And then, but yeah. And then do we have to do that or does steam do that? So yeah, like, but, so then, where, but then there's also interesting problems where like I've, I've seen, have you guys seen that really, really shitty video of somebody drawing a Sonic, the hedgehog in MS paint. And it's like really messed up. Mm -hmm. And there's like horrible distorted screeching version of the green Hill zone music playing. <laughs> no, um, so somebody drew this, Garbage Sonic. I think they. I think it's referred to as Sanic. S A N I C. <laughs> and then somebody took that hideous version of Sonic and made that into a character that you could play on in Skyrim, of course, and with a mod. <laughs> and so you can run super fast, but like your body is all like newly and bendy and stuff. Um, and while you're playing that character, this horrible screeching music from Green Hill Zone is playing. And so, so then there's this question of like, well, I mean. That's a that's a parody. Yeah, yeah. But but things are only fair use if a judge says they exactly. Are. So so there's so Sony could still go after you first before it turns out it's okay. Yeah. So there's these, there's these kinds of weird gray areas that like just, as, soon, as soon as you get into that territory, you just have to start dealing with. Yeah. Well, that's why the nice thing about level heads is since we're baking all that in from the start, you yeah. know, you can't do something like make Sanic, but you can make your own levels, which should be you know a nice happy middle ground. Yeah. All stuff. Controlled chaos. Yes. And you could, I think, because yeah, you can, uh, in Levelhead, you'd be able to basically make almost an exact duplicate of levels from all kinds of other platformers. Yeah. Um, but because everything about it is, like, the mechanics are going to be definitely different, at least to some degree, and the art's definitely different. There's enough, and the character's definitely different. There's enough things that are different that it would be, somebody could still always sue us. Well, yeah, but, but des it would be, design isn't copyrightable. Yeah, but yeah. design isn't copyrightable. Yeah. So as long as it, like... It would have to look way, way more like the actual thing. So, so by us choosing a completely different art style that nothing else has, mm -hmm. um, then we still get to have a creative platform where we know people will make basically just remake stuff that already exists, but we won't be culpable when that happens. Yeah. Yes. So, if the community wants to make a Crashlands creator, go for it. But we are keeping our hands off of yep. it. <sighs> Next question comes from Degeki. What do you quote know? 
I like that. Yep. That's good. <laughs> what do you know about polyphasic sleep? Have you tried it? If not, would you? If so, how did it go? And did you stop? It was a Sam's thing. That was a poor choice. All I right. did it. What is polyphasic sleep? Polyphasic sleep is where instead of sleeping for eight hours a night in one gigantic chunk, because the reality is that you need the two four-hour full cycles through sleep in order to feel good, that you break up that eight hours into some arrangement that is not an eight-hour chunk. Some so, suboptimal garbage arrangement. So <laughs> a lot of people try this one called, it's one called the Everyman, which is like a five-hour core sleep and then two hours like two naps during the day or something like that. And then there's basically more and more versions where you keep on splitting it up more and more. So I did try the the craziest version of it, which is called the Uberman, which is where you sleep for uh, 20 minutes every four hours only. Just always, yeah. all the time. Every four hours, full stop. Uh-huh. For the rest of your life, every <laughs> four hours, you take did. a 20-minute nap. Your life is governed by a clock. But this is so, definitely better than sleeping at hours a night. Well, supposedly <laughs> it was but, not. But I, think, I just think it's practice. hilarious that even in principle, somebody could think it would be better. They're like, yeah, it's way better to every four hours well, on the hour. You know, so the, <laughs> sleep for 20 minutes. Because <laughs> the, the idea is that you end up getting like an extra six hours out of a day. Yeah, yeah. But, it's a crazy amount but, of but at, but at the cost of every four hours on the hour going to sleep for 20 yes. minutes, no matter what. Yeah, let's so talk about the – Let's talk about the – oh, We'll get there. <laughs> so uh, – so I did it in college because that was because I mean because it's the only it. time a person could, could reliably do it. Not even could reliably, but could have the thought that this would be a worthwhile thing. To That's do. true, and the resources to to pull <laughs> and it the off. resources to try it. Yeah, no one was cooking my food. I just had to show up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> got food. You show up to yeah, somebody just slapped a chicken mm-hmm. breast into your hand. And Amazing. Like, There's my dinner. So so I did do it. I did it for 14 days in total. Uh, the first six were. Something else. The first two, I felt fine, of course, because whatever, just being. Yeah, you can do anything for two days. And then uh, on the fifth day, I was in one of my classes. I was taking notes, and the professor was talking. Usually, I just take notes, you know, while they're chatting. And I could not remember. Like I would start writing a sentence, and I could not remember what the other half of the sentence was. So it was just I was just I had nothing. Memory is the first thing to go with sleep deprivation. Had no cognitive skills, basically at all. So this was even though you were doing your twenty minute naps. Because your body like takes a while to adjust is what they say. So so I did it and then about day six or seven, it seemed like it was actually working. So I was seemed I was much more alert. I was writing papers and stuff. I was fine. But the weird thing this is, is probably just the pre-death euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing though was uh was that the extra time because the whole point of it is to get those extra you know, four or six hours in a day. But like you said, the reality is that you increase your, the fragility basically of your entire system because mm-hmm. every four hours you have to – like when, when you do this eight-hour sleep thing, I mean, we've all done it where you've had maybe one night where you sleep 10 hours and then you have another night where you sleep for four because maybe you're in New York City or whatever else. Right. But so you that, can, that's every night, but yeah. Right, right. <laughs> but, but you can kind of recover from that because it's it's – because it's just in that one big chunk, it's much – it's weirdly more flexible than doing these like every four hours things. And so – Right, because if you miss one, if you yeah. miss one 20-minute nap or even if, if your 20-minute nap gets interrupted at five minutes in, yeah, it's over now. So and you, so basically you have, to, you have to plot out where you're going to nap because you're in places. every four, you'll, be like, you'll be at work. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be your whole day now requires this extra layer of planning. Yeah, so – I started getting annoyed by it, but then the thing that really annoyed me was that the whole point was to get more time. Um, but the reality is the time you get is the hours between like midnight and 6 a.m., right? Because otherwise you would have been up anyways. Mm-hmm. And the thing is there's nothing to do at that time aside from whatever solo projects you have. And the reality also is that you'll get tired of that real fucking yeah. Well, and what, what we know too is <laughs> well, that and – And it ruins the part of the day where you can actually like – talk to other people because yes. you'll be in the middle of the conversation you're like oh should I go to I had a dinner I was minutes? at a dinner with like all of my favorite people and then I was like I need I'm so I need to go take a nap okay. <laughs> you know I gotta go miss 30 minutes of this because it takes about five minutes to fall asleep like I need to go I'm, I'll be back and I was like this is dumb <laughs> what am I doing this is crazy man so I did it and I wouldn't recommend it also I'm pretty sure it has some like really bad cognitive effects yeah I'm pretty sure it's a terrible idea yeah all right so I, I was there's uh, I was listening to a Hidden Brain episode about sleep deprivation. Oh, okay. It's called the episode is called Eyes Wide Open, and it was about in the starting in the 1950s. Uh, this radio DJ decided he was going to pull a publicity stunt and stay awake for eight days and be on air the whole time. Okay. So, so this was just like to get press and stuff. This was at a time where nobody. No one knows. There was no real good knowledge about how we still basically we still basically, basically know nothing, sleep. but we know. A lot more. Something. Well, so let me <laughs> right. let me 
just back up on the science with the polyphasic thing. So the, the whole thing is girded in this idea that the one thing that we do know about sleep is that the most beneficial part comes from the, your REM cycle of like how your brain works. Yeah. Right? We'll but, say that. We also used to think that most of your genome was junk. Yes, exactly. So, so that's the thing is, like, is that that's the most beneficial part, quote unquote, based on what we know right now, which yeah. is probably a bunch of bullshit. So well, the this, whole this thing is, is predicated like the, on this very loose knowledge. Yeah, right? It was like we talked about, I think it was last week, about the idea that that if people say, oh, you only get two hours a, a day of real good work done. Yeah, so just so don't, don't even do the other So hours. just don't even do the other ones. <laughs> well, maybe the other ones are what allow those two hours yeah. to happen. You yeah. know? So anyways, back to the radio. Yeah. So this guy puts himself into a glass room Oh God! Okay. In, in public so that he can be observed. I assume he had a private bathroom to pee in and stuff. But he was just, you know, doing his radio show for eight days. And, you know, first day he was being all cocky. It's kind of like when somebody eats a hot pepper. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, this is fine. Like, of course, he's just been awake for five hours. Who yeah, cares? Just a normal day um, so far. And then by day two, he's getting grumpy, you know. Day three – no filter. It's kind of like being drunk, you yeah. know, just like no ability to kind of uh, mediate his responses to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's just incredibly irritable the rest of the time. He did make it to the end, uh, but he was just a raging asshole by the time he got <laughs> to the end of the eight days. I'm surprised he didn't die. Well, then what happened was oh, no. he did die. In the next. <laughs> so then over the next six months, he lost his job uh, and he and his marriage fell apart and he was fired because uh, nobody could get along with him at work. Right. Whoa. And so, so like whatever. And then he, and then he ended up, he couldn't get any more jobs as radio DJ and he couldn't get any jobs where he had to be around people generally. And he just became, he became like a door to door encyclopedia salesman or something. And that was just it for him. Mm. And a bunch of other DJs did the same thing and had basically the same outcome. <gasps> um, and so basically what happened then, it was some, something, over that eight day period, just like permanently broke, broke, and Whoa. they could no longer moderate their moods. Um, and you know, like, because when you're when you're in social situations, you have this kind of you have a filter and you've got a mask, and you know, mm-hmm. you you somebody's like, how's how's it going? You're like, fine, and you don't tell them like, well, I'm bleeding from my tooth that I exploded <laughs> that this morning yeah. because it's not their problem, right. and who cares, you know. Um, and so maybe you're in line at the grocery store and the person in front of you is like, oh, I think I got a five somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then it's like eight minutes later, they finally go, oh, I'll just swipe my credit card. And you just deal with it, mm-hmm. you know, because <laughs> that's just life. Uh, but if you just lose all capacity mm-hmm. to handle these situations gracefully, uh, just permanently, then you your whole life is done. Yeah, now, you can't exist you know? socially at that point. Yeah. And so – so and, and the guy that they were interviewing was a guy who also did this when he was 17 and he said he set the world record. Um he saw what these DJs were doing and he was like I can beat that. I assume they don't let you do that world record anymore because of how dangerous That's it is. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, the Guinness the Guinness Book of World Records said we are no longer we're we're scrubbing all records of sleep deprivation mm-hmm. and we're no longer recording it or supporting it and they were like you should understand that that they allow you to do things like Take a balloon up to space and jump out, of it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's cool. Like that's yeah. that's the longest free fall record, and that is safe. But sleep deprivation is so horribly dangerous to you that they cannot support that <laughs> activity <laughs> whatsoever. Right? So who knows? Maybe I was a cheerful person before that polyphasic sleep experiment. You're you're definitely a different person now. There you go. You know, I'm crankier. Yeah. Got things. <laughs> I mean, but the thing is, like, it might apart, not always. It might not always have that sort of a that exact negative impact either. Who mm-hmm. knows, you know? Because if it if the end result is that it changes your brain chemistry in some way permanently, then basically you just killed your former self and became someone else. Sometimes you got – what's the Kylo Ren quote? Yeah. You, you got to gotta kill the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if if you need to if you need to become a new self, you still shouldn't do it. Yeah, don't, <laughs> no, don't do, don't, yeah, don't do it under any circumstances. Always um, get plenty of sleep. Yep. All right, our final question of the day comes from Anonymous. So thanks for the donation also. Mm-hmm. Hey, B-Bros, your stance on monetization is well documented. What's your take on games, particularly in the mobile arena, that are initially free to download but eventually hit you with a one-time premium price tag to access all the content? I can see how it would devalue an established brand, but is it the right way for a new developer to let players get a taste before coughing up money uh, to people with no prior credibility? Or would one be better off establishing a premium price from the get-go? 
probably, if you're brand new, you'd be better off making a free-to-play game in some capacity. Would you? I, but it depends on what you mean by better off. Because I think no matter what you do, you're, you're probably going to make about the same amount of money, which, as, is, as almost a new, which is almost zero. Yeah. As a well, as a new entrant into the into the the industry, because if you make a free to play game, then yeah, you're going to get way more downloads. But nobody gives a fuck about free to play games. So if your game is stellar, except for Fortnite, except for Fortnite. But if your game is stellar, <laughs> people really get into it. Then you know maybe maybe a tiny tiny fraction of them, you know, around one percent, will actually buy something from you. Etc. Well, I mean, but, there's 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 lightweight ways to implement a free to play monetization that aren't uh, that don't require you to know how to like do the whole storefront thing. So if you look at games like Crossy Road or whatever else, right, where they have it's a very simple overall schema where you just like pay some money to unlock some new characters or you watch some ads. Like those are the two mm-hmm. methods. But so you, you know, the only the reason full, that, that works is that the number of people who played Crossy Road was like thirty million, yes. or whatever, right? And so when you have downloads at that scale, then any like any monetization scheme will work if you're a small studio and you right. can move through 30 million units, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you well, – would, would the game have been – have worked as a premium game is the question. Uh, maybe because it was still kind of the first of its of its exact kind. But it probably wouldn't have worked as well because it's harder to yeah. to convince somebody to part with money at the outset. Yeah, I, I think it's – I think it's a case that for a premium game or a full game unlock thing, mm-hmm. you need to be offering a lot. Like yes. you need you need to have something that's a really unique value proposition because what they're buying is the whole game, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, – and you even see that in Super Mario Run, for example, uh, people didn't think it was enough. You know, they, they got the whole game uh, for 10 bucks, but that wasn't enough. And, and with free-to-play games, you hardly need to offer anything at all mm-hmm. for – you're like, oh, here's some gems. And people are like, fuck yeah, here's $100, right? <laughs> well, some Tub. people – a tiny, tiny number yeah. of people. So other people are like, oh, okay, and here's a dollar for my handful of gems. Again, um, still a tiny. And number so, of and then in a, a game like Fortnite, what are you buying? You know, costumes. Yeah. You know, this it doesn't change anything directly about your game experience. It changes how but you it's look. A, it's a signal though, because it's a multiplayer game. So right, but uh, but what you got to recognize a huge incentive for for those signifiers. Yes, but what you got to recognize is that people. It, it makes me think of back when we launched Talfy, and we said. Hey, it's only three bucks. Mm-hmm. It's cheaper than a cup of coffee at Starbucks, right? Um, that's not the comparison point. You know, nobody is nobody's driving down the street and they see a Starbucks and they're like, should I should I go in there and or get my I daily coffee or should I buy Talfite 2, the mm-hmm. monocle of destiny? That question has never been asked mm-hmm. in the history of mankind. Yeah. And it never will. Um, um, people also, if they're going and buying a cup of coffee, they don't ask like, well, this is like a fifth the cost of a video game, so maybe I should maybe I should forego coffee for the next week. Yeah, or video games or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? Nobody people compare when things are within the same market, right? Yeah, so category. Yeah, in the same category. So they'll they'll compare the cost of your game to other games, which on mobile they're all free, right? Yes, uh, but they're not going to compare the cost of your game to a cup of coffee. Yeah, but again, what, so what you have to really think about is what's the real comparison point? Because if you're selling your game then you are being compared to entire other free games. You're being compared to other games that have a demo and an unlock as well as other entire pay up front games. Right. So people are going to be, and and specifically games that are also being featured alongside your Mm -hmm. game in that very moment, other sort of triple a titles that may be similar. You know, there's a, there's a fairly narrow comparison window and yours has to be the best Value proposition. Yeah, so, right? so being free isn't actually the thing that brings you more players because you're now a free thing in a pool with a whole bunch of other free things. Right. So it's it's actually standing out amongst your direct competitors. It's still the game. Yeah. It's still, it's still the, the game. game. And and I think that's that's the important note is is I think it's actually a weird kind of a fallacy to to just say like should my game be premium or should it be? And of course the question in here is not should I be selling in at purchases? It's should I do the one time unlock? Mm-hmm. But just to kind of like. Uh, clarify the thinking on this stuff is if you are selling a bunch of in-app purchases inside your game, that's a whole other thing. Cause what you're actually doing there is you're creating a closed market, mm-hmm. which is people are now evaluating the hundred gem pack versus the 10 gem pack and the prices of those things in its own ecosystem. Instead of comparing right? your game to another game. It's not right? about the game anymore. Right. Yeah, yeah. Now it's, now it's about what's in the game. But people got to be really into your game to give a shit at all about making those sort of sorts of yeah. comparisons. So I think it, it's, well, this is a nuanced problem, which is that you can't, you can't know 
what exactly someone should do. So my my reason for saying that going for free first is because if you're like a starting out independent developer, my so my sort of basis for that is always that our experience has been that our first games that we made were of course the worst ones that we ever made um by by a long margin and that what you're looking for there is just sort of the start of an audience more so than actual giant return on revenue or on uh, on investment right so so it it really depends on what your goals are with the project like a very realistic look at a thing if it's just another puzzle game i mean i wouldn't put a premium price tag on it personally unless again it wasn't another one it was some sort of you know new special thing that felt good and everyone liked so it, it just depends on the game almost 100 percent. that's yeah. what you should well, do. but i think just realizing yeah. it's 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 not a silver bullet to give your game away for free because the free market is saturated. Yes. And so nobody like the price tag is is basically irrelevant when it comes yeah, to the, the median number of downloads is zero. Yeah. And that's and most games are free to play, which means yeah. that most games get no downloads, even if they're free. even if they're free. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's not that's not the ticket to like if I can only just get people in here, then then I'll have it, right? Um, yeah, you still need an incredible value proposition, yeah. even though that the cost is zero, right? Because yeah, because it, it still needs to get featured, and it need, people need to be able to find the game, and it needs to spread yeah. via. Yeah, I think I think probably a lot of this depends on how you think the marketing for your game is going to work, right? Mm-hmm. Because when it comes to something like Crashlands, we talked about how how much of a struggle it was to portray what the game is like, um, and that meant when we were trying to when we were trying to get people to understand what it was they were going to be taking a risk with their money on. We just never really felt like we could do it, right? Mm-hmm. And and so given that, we kind of that means that 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 we know that we struggle when somebody visits the store and they're trying to decide, am I going to pay up front for this thing? We know that we struggle there from a marketing perspective because of what the game is. Um, but making it free doesn't necessarily solve that, yeah. right? Um, but if we thought for some reason that did, that we'd be like, okay, well, that would we think that there's enough here that it might be too hard to sell directly, but it's enough here that we could get somebody in, right? Right. Then in that case, maybe we would, we would now reevaluate and say, okay, so if we can just – if we fine-tune everything what about the storefront and so on so that we make it seem like a great value proposition and we just got to get people in there, then we can design some sort of an in-game unlock or, or store or whatever mm-hmm. uh, to actually get that thing to make some money somehow. Um, but now you basically are confronted with problem number two for marketing. Yes. So you've now broken up your problem into – from one really hard marketing problem into two and – the decision about that entry point, about how someone's going to get into the thing, has an enormous impact about how someone is going to approach your game. Because if they come into a free title, they're going to come in ex- with a huge sense of entitlement, expecting a lot from you. Because they've already got it now. There's, so they've there's already the, got it now. So there's this endowment effect, yeah. which is the psychological effect that once somebody feels like they own something, they place a lot more inherent value on the thing. Yeah. And you can use that to actually make money off of it if you do it cleverly. But yeah, it, can the, al- it can also just bite you. Well, the reality more. of a paid unlock is actually what you're doing is you're paying someone to get back what they have. Yeah, because they have the game. According to their viewpoint. Right? Yeah, so, they, they have the game and then there's that paywall term that people yeah. use, right? They have the game and then they feel like you have put a wall up now that they have to pay to get past mm-hmm. and that if you hadn't done that injustice to them – then they would be able to just keep playing the rest of the game and you took it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's not that you gave them the first part for free. Doesn't matter. What they're in their perspective, you took away the last part. Mm-hmm. That's 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 where that kind of friction comes from. And I think it's it's a training problem as well because most games don't do that. Right. So so games typically I would say fall into either the the pay, now you're just playing the game, or the free to play with tons of things you can buy inside the game but generally you can keep playing sort of on your own either by waiting for energy systems to refill or just play and buy yeah, and the costumes, in-game purchases right? don't necessarily unlock access to gameplay experiences they all just they accelerate the things yeah. or or whatever um and so there's this tiny tiny sliver of games that do kind of like the super mario run model um that is just kind of confusing to people mm-hmm. i feel like because they they see the free tag on iTunes, mm-hmm. which now I think it says get, you know, on yeah. the app store. You get, the, you just get the game, mm-hmm. but you don't really get the game, right? Because yeah. you get a little piece of the game. And then, then after you become attached to the game, it feels like the rest of it's been snatched away from you. And there, that, that actually can kind of backfire. And we did see that with Flop Rocket, which mm-hmm. we did. Um, we saw the same thing happen with Mario Run that even though it's a great game, has had like three and a half stars. Yeah, um, your reviews are good. Yeah, your reviews get tanked, and and if your goal is to is to become known as a developer of high quality stuff, then you might want to consider those review scores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
and go with models that are much more familiar to people and try to deliver really high quality kind of within that within that domain. So does that kind of make yeah. sense? Which I think, which it's I think, an impossible question without knowing what the game is. Truth it is, yeah. yeah. It, depends, it depends on the game and how you think you can market it. But I, but I think it is the case that the hardest thing to sell uh, is the in-game in unlock. unlock. Yes, I would agree with that. And I think we didn't believe that until we did it. And then we yeah. looked at the experience and then thought about it a lot more and, uh, and just realized that the psychology of that is so different than the psychology of the, mm-hmm. of the other two approaches. And it's just really hard not to get bit yeah. <laughs> by doing that. You're going to be fighting people's natures on that one, which is not ideal. Yeah. And I think in in Flop Rocket, you know, if we think about our options being – so we did did the one-time unlock, which backfired on us. Um, The game still did well enough. It still made a good amount of money, but it wasn't – Not compared to its number of downloads. Exactly. Um, And so if we had done the premium, there's that point which is like I don't think the game is big enough to to sell for a couple bucks on its own. I don't think there's enough in there to to warrant that because, again, like if you're selling a premium game – People expect people have high expectations. People expect a lot. Yeah, they'll they'll spend a lot more as an in-app purchase and expect way less right. than they will for a premium purchase. Right. Like if they spend two dollars on a premium purchase, they're expecting the equivalent of a hundred dollar in-game mm-hmm. unlock, basically. Yeah. Because in some cases, a couple dollars is a cup of coffee. Other times, it's an entire game, mm-hmm. and other times, it's a pair of pants mm-hmm. for your Fortnite. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it, so, but yeah, but that 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 whole point that Seth made earlier about once somebody is in the game, prices are now just constrained within that market that the game has created and so yeah. they, they those numbers just mean something completely different mm-hmm. now that, that's why games can sell a hundred dollar like coin packs and anybody from outside this game can look at that and be like why the fuck you could go buy any triple a game and have 40 bucks money. left and over. Have 40 <laughs> bucks <laughs> left over why in god's name would you buy you know a hundred dollars worth of coins in this puzzle game on mobile right and the answer is that because that's not the algebra people are doing they are they are Playing this game a lot, they're looking through the storefront and they're being like, "Oh, the best deal I can get because mm-hmm. I, I save the most money mm-hmm. because because I get a good, better rate if I buy that hundred dollar yep. pack, right? That that is the math that people are doing, and uh, you have you have to really just be aware that that's what's going on in people's brains when you're trying to decide on a monetization model. So that means if and so we we've talked about how we you know we switched to this premium model after Crashlands. What that does mean is that the days of of fast short development cycles and small games for us are essentially over. Yeah. And we, we kind of realized this as we were getting, you know, six months into level head development and we're like, we're going to sell this game. Mm-hmm. And even though we are three months past the point where we could have launched it for free and been fine, we are still really far away from the point where we could ask for a single dollar for somebody to buy this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, cause they're just too, well, that, and that totally threshold is, is a lot higher on, on everything but mobile too. Yeah. Although it's also getting higher on mobile. Yeah. So if your question is, should I do a pay to unlock the full game or or upfront purchase, maybe you should be asking, is my game big enough to sell? And if not, you might need to just go with the oh, straight up in-app purchases, mm-hmm. in-game store model. So, yeah. But again, we have no idea. Shit's crazy. Our opinion is very narrow in terms of our data sets that we're coming <laughs> yeah. from. So who knows? Just do something and try to see if it works. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. If you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can hop into our Discord server over at discord.gg bscotch and come say hello. Also, if you'd like to adorn your body with Butterscotch merch, you can check out our shop over at shop.bscotch.net. And if you'd like to send us something, we have a mailbox, which you can find the address for over at mailbox.bscotch.net. Uh, we also have donations for people who would like to support the podcast. You can find that at moneygrab.bscotch.net. And last but not least, Shenanicon 2018. This is the last week to get tickets. And you can find oh, yeah. that over at meet.bscotch.net. It's happening in two weekends. Woo! So get your shenana pants on because mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's happening. We should probably make a Discord channel for the... Shenanicon attendees. We should over at discord.gg slash bscotch. Yeah, yeah right, we should right over there. there. Yep. So, cool. All right. Thanks you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.